This is Character Development, Episode 4, Maggie Wheeler, Part 2. Hi, I'm Suzanne Nugent. I'm an author and a screenwriter, and I love talking to innovators, authors, and artists about their creative process and the real-life character arcs that happen along the way. I always walk away from these kinds of conversations feeling inspired, and I hope this podcast does the same for you. This is Character Development. Hi, it's Suzanne, and this is part two of my conversation with Maggie Wheeler. If you're just tuning in, go back and listen to part one, where we talk about resilience in a creative career and saying yes to new challenges. In today's episode, we talk about Maggie's songwriting process and the healing power of music. Here's the second half of my conversation with Maggie Wheeler. Throughout this time, did you have music too? Is it something that anchored you? Yes. I've, I used to say I act for my supper and I sing for my soul. And that is how I kind of described the balance of those two creative journeys. Now, I also, my music work has expanded in ways that it is also another source of income for me in that I put a lot of love and energy and work into creating the Golden Bridge Choir, which I ran in person for 17 years. And I've now run virtually for the last two or three, however long we've been in this crazy game of, uh, of pandemic life. Um, so it's a huge part of my life that evolved from something that I did purely for love for the longest time. When I was just teaching once a month, which is how I started in LA, just I would do a, a big open sing once a month. And I'd, you know, I'd put a basket out to help pay for the rent, the chairs. I would, we would rent chairs every you know, the, that, that Sunday, my husband's an artist. He has a truck. We would go and pick everything up and move everything. So yeah, I would take, you know, some $5 donations and things that people would do on their way out if they wanted to. And I kept it that way for many, 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 many years until I started the choir. Can you describe Golden Bridge Choir in the type of um, community choir that you lead? Yeah. So I lead a non-auditioned, intergenerational, everybody welcome community choir where the music is taught in the oral tradition, all call and response, which means that anybody can learn. Um, nobody has to read music. I don't do, I don't, I don't sing kind of classic um, recognizable songs with the choir. I do a lot of world music. You know, every once in a while I'll do a song that maybe people have heard in the folk tradition, but I, you know, I don't do any contemporary songs or any Christmas songs or religious, you know, actually there's a lot of spiritual music so from, from, from many traditions, but it's taught in a way that's accessible to everybody. And even people who are scared or afraid or don't feel that they have what they consider to be a, a good voice or a voice, they can stand in the, in the safety and the company of others and be lifted and over time become more and more courageous with the sound that they're making. And also to realize that, you know, in this environment, I never appoint at somebody and say, can I hear you or anything that people might have been kind of frightened by or wounded by in their own musical experiences leading up to this moment. It's a, it's a different kind of environment so that it's really done as a, as a, as a community and, and magic is made, you know, you come into a room where there's no, there's nothing. And in, in 15 minutes or, or, or less or more, you know, we've created something incredibly beautiful and layered and with, with five parts of harmony and, and rhythm and, you know, things that are, that change the body and change the mind and change how you feel. It's, it's incredibly healing. It is incredible because when we're all kids, we, we go into music class and we learn songs that are simple, easy to learn. 
And I think about this a lot now that my son is in school and he goes to music class and he happens to love, you know, um, he plays instruments and he loves that stuff. And I think about right now he's at an age where all the children are doing a holiday concert or a spring concert or things like that. And at some point, the kids that don't pursue music as reading music or playing an instrument, what happens to them? Do they never sing again? And I say this as a kid who happens to be in her 40s, <laughs> that when when I came to your choir years ago, when we were, when you were all still in person, in the before times, yes. um, I came in there a little, like a little resistant, I have to say. And then the the move is you sit on the floor, just like kindergarten, and yeah. you sing a, a verse of a song. We sing it back to you, just like in kindergarten, and then we all sing the song together. And it was so fun after years of being like, oh, what is this note? How do I sound? And all this stuff, just kind of going, oh, I'm just going to sing with this group. And it's fun, just like kindergarten was, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I just have to say, I really appreciate that. And you run this as kind of retreats around the world as well. I do. I just came back from the Art of Living Retreat Center in Boone, North Carolina, where I traveled with my friend Arne Batson to teach a workshop that we call Songs of Sustenance. And my workshop that I've taught over the years is called Singing in the Stream. And uh, I will be doing that at the Omega Institute in I think late July, last week of July, you know, yeah. And I've taught in at other places at Esalen and at, uh, at Shivananda Yoga Ashram in the Bahamas and incredible places that I've had a chance to come and lead people in song, which is magical when you have days and you can just sit together as a community and, you know, in between the singing, you're eating breakfast or dinner or, you know, looking at the stars. And then the next morning or afternoon, you're back singing again together. You know, that really builds community. Uh, amazing things happen when you have multiple days to sing with people. What kind of transformations do you see in people when they're, when they're doing this kind of singing? Like from the first day, again, I'm all about arcs. Yeah. Interesting. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can tell you that in this most recent workshop, it's a strange time to be traveling and teaching in person because people are trepidatious and it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big ask. It's a big lift to say, yeah, I'm going to take three days and I'm going to spend this money and I'm going to go to this place and do something for myself. So yeah, there was a woman who came up to me on the first night and she said that she had been kind of pushed by a friend repeatedly. You have to go who knew my work. You have to go. You have to go. And she finally sort of relented and decided she was going through a difficult period in her life and she decided to come. And on the first night, at the end of the first night, she came up to me and she said, I now I know why I'm here. And I didn't know anything about her at that time, but I was grateful to know that her friend had encouraged her and that she had made the leap and shown up. And on the last day, she said, I think you saved my life. Oh my. And so wow. it can be as simple as, you know feeling good. Yeah. The arc of coming in feeling kind of, you know, feeling your feet of clay. And then, you know, by the end of a, a three-day period, having having had your spirit lifted so much by music, by harmony, by laughter, by tears, that by day three, you know, you're 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 floating out. A physical thing, it can be an emotional thing. Um it depends on uh, on who you are and how you come in. But something extraordinary happened on the last day. 
Before I left, I was thinking, I must be crazy. I am going to North Carolina. I've never been there. But Arne and I were traveling on a, on a red eye, renting a car, driving two hours. You know, what, what my father used to refer to as a long haul for a short slide. <laughs> and I was questioning it. And I wrote this little song. And the, the, for, to sing with everybody when I got there, I really wrote it for me. You know, a lot of music that comes, comes because I need it. But the first part of the song says, how long was the road? How long was the road? And I just was, that's what I was singing to myself. Like, this is going to be a haul. And so that was part one. And I, and I, when I got there on night, on the first day, I had half the room singing that. And I had the other half singing, how long did you travel? How long did you travel? How long did you travel? How long? Anyway, I had them singing that. And then I had a third line and the line said, I'm here. I'm here. I'm where I'm meant to be. I'm here. I'm here. The call is, is strong in me because I thought, why else would you do it? <laughs> why else would you go from your com- the comfort of your house to a place? Anyway, we sang it on the first night, and it meant something to people to be witnessed as having made a big effort to go and do a thing. And on the final day, I woke up on the last morning, and I thought, oh, we have to sing that song again, because we've traveled. We've traveled again from day one to day three. So we did it again. And this time in my mind, I thought, I'll just let them do that third line however they want. You know, I'm here, I'm here, I'm where I'm meant to be. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. Like, you think I'm going to sing alone? I'm not singing alone. So then this one woman puts her hand up and she says, I want to sing it. So I go to her and, and she says, but I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't know it. You have to sing it with me. So we look at each other. I look in her eyes. I'm here. I'm here. I'm where I'm meant to be. I'm here. I'm here. The call is strong in me. And I'm looking in her eyes and she's looking at me. We're kind of jumping up and down. And then another hand goes up and another hand goes up. And another hand, and and so everybody from the middle of the room to the end of the room did it. And then the shy half of the room, which was to my left, for the shyest hand went up, and then the next, and the next. And within moments, everyone had gotten up and done it alone with me. And it was absolutely transformational. That's amazing. It was incredible. It is. It is. Because, you know, who knows what it did for each person? It's different characters, same story, right? You could see that it took more for for the first six people. It took a lot more. They were, there was no way they were going to do it, but they were able to see first the one woman, courageous woman, and then each person. As you say, it's true. The quality of each person taking the risk was completely different. Hmm. The story they came with, the sorrow, the pain, the insecurity, or the bravado. You know, I mean, whatever it might have been, each one of them was felt utterly different to look in their eyes and sing that line, I'm here, I'm where I'm meant to be. Right. Because culturally, we have like American Idol and the voice and stuff. And so we think that there needs to be an end goal to using your voice and singing. And it's in every creative experience of like, oh, you have to be a New York Times bestseller if you're going to be a writer. No, sometimes you just write a poem for yourself. Sometimes you just write a story because you want to. Yeah. So to get out of that, to get out of that and just go, no, you're going to sing because that's what human beings have done since the dawn of time. And there's something communal about it. There's something communal. And there's also something uh, personal. You know, I mean, if you've raised kids, in all likelihood, you've sung to them, you know, I mean, just to get their shoes on, 
You know, yeah. it's shoot time, it's shoot time, come <laughs> on and put your shoes on, you know, whatever it is. We sing to our kids to get them to do things. And we do it maybe in a funny way, yeah. because that's, you know, how we encourage. But in cultures all across the world, and since the dawn of time, songs have been used and are, con- are now currently still being used for the simplest things, from waking to cooking to to cleaning to teaching to grieving to celebrating. The, there are songs, and we don't have them unless, of course, you're a member of a church community, or you're a member, or you've auditioned for a choir, and you've been let in the door. You know, we don't have that culturally in our in our day to day. So it is something I'm passionate about, and something I hope that when people walk away from three days of singing with me, or one day of singing with me, that they go, "Huh, like maybe I need a song to get out the door this morning. Maybe I should make it up for myself." Yeah. It's amazing how quickly you came up with a song. And I listened to some of your music before we spoke, before we were talking today. And I love it because by the end of the song, I can sing along with it because there's like a repetition. There's like, did you learn that style or that tradition of, of, of singing or, or songwriting to make it accessible to a group of people who are learning a song for the first time? Well, my mentor, my teacher, the person who put me on this path is Isai Barnwell, who sang bass for Sweet Honey and the Rock for many, many, many years. And I was fortunate enough that I was at the Omega Institute the year before she came to teach. I was there taking another class with a friend who was teaching interpretive sign language. And I and she asked me if I would come because she didn't know anybody. And I said, yeah, I'll come. So anyway, I was then in the Omega Institute loop enough to see the catalog and to know that Isaiah was there teaching Black Choral and Congregational Song, which was which then her workshop became Building a Vocal Community. But at the time when it was born, that was the first time she ever did it. It was a seven-day workshop. And so, and I was a huge fan of their music. I was a huge fan of gospel music, of African music. I had already developed a real love for the sound and the harmony and the forms. And so then being in her presence and learning from her extraordinary teacher, she showed me what was possible. She showed me how to take a room full of people and make magic so quickly. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't thinking in that moment as a teacher, I was just a, a, you know, a, a student and I just wanted to drink up as much as I could from her just as a student. And I studied with her many, many, many years in a row. And um, and I sang with an acapella group in New York that were all members of that first year. We were called Sons and Daughters, and she mentored us and came to New York and worked with us you know, intermittently when she was visiting her family. So I really, uh, I have to credit Izai with showing me what was possible. And then those forms of music, I think, are kind of very they're in me in certain kinds of ways. And the more community singing that I did, and the, as I began to write write for community singing, yeah, I just, that's my goal. That's my inspiration. I don't want to sing alone. Mm. I want you to sing with me. Well, but in the last couple of years, how challenging that's been. During the pandemic, I don't know, there's a blessing and a curse in some ways where maybe your music reached way more people. Something like 4,000 people join you online. To do this kind of singing, that's amazing, versus (laughs) how many people are in your choir? There were a hundred, you know, in the last few years. Yeah. So it must have been crushing at first to realize how, what, what was lost. You know, what's interesting about that for me is that, you know, I was in the middle of a choir session. I, I had already been paid. We were working toward a concert. All I thought at the time was, oh my gosh, how do I serve these people? How, what are we going to do? 
So I my friend came over, helped me get put Zoom on my computer, and I held choir that Sunday. I had no idea what I was going to do. I had to learn the rules. Okay, you guys have to be muted. Okay. But <laughs> I had but I had in my computer all the tracks that I had already made, all the rehearsal tracks that I'd made for the for that concert. So where I had sung all the parts and they'd been working with those tracks. I had a you know, I have like a private page page on my website for choir members where they can go and listen to the songs and the tracks and all the rest. So I had all of that. So I could play on my side of the screen from my end a track of a song that we'd already been working on and they could sing alone in their homes. So that of course is very confrontational, confronting, right? I mean, all of a sudden you're only hearing you, but you're hearing you with me and five other me's, you know, all the parts are there and you're singing against it. So yes, I think for some people it was like, oh my God, this is not right. But at the same time, something magic happened and we were able to look at each other, sing the song, know that we were all doing the same thing in the same moment for that moment. And when it was over, we were all breathing together and our hearts were in time together just as if we were in person. And so I, I, on the heels of doing that for the choir, I posted something on Facebook. I, you know, I grabbed my phone and I held it up to the computer and I, I took a little video of, Oh, look at us. We're in choir. And, and the song was a Haitian song, uh, that was playing out of my computer that it was me singing the Haitian song. But anyway, I posted it on Facebook and people were so, people were lonely and, and, and scared. And they said, I want to do that. How do I do that? So I started together in song, which was the public event that I ran on Saturdays. And, uh, and then I did choir on Sundays and you much came of it. It, you know, necessity is the mother of, in, of invention. I started doing virtual videos with the choir. I would meet with them on Zoom in private, smaller groups and help them to record their parts on their phones and send me their vo- voices. And then I got to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Yeah. And, and you said yes again. You said, said, okay, fine. This is what's being given to me. And um, this is how I'm going to make this yeah. happen. And magic came from it. People really needed it. It was a, it was essential for a lot of people and it kept them afloat. And then Together in Song was just, you know, way bigger than anything I ever anticipated. And it was so beautiful. And it also allowed me to reach out and make connections with musicians, old friends and new friends, people who were also looking for opportunities to come together and do things. And I was able to pay them and I was able to contribute to social justice organizations and do something that felt really purposeful. And in the midst of all of that, like a lot of us, I think, you know, I I feel like the creative souls were able to benefit in a way from the, from the container, the, the, uh, you know, I mean, I'm an introvert. I think, you know, I'm an, I'm an extroverted introvert or whatever we might say. So that quiet allowed me to create a tremendous amount of music during the pandemic and write and write and write for the people because I knew I was going to see them every weekend. That's incredible. I want to say about your music, like I said, it's easy to learn and sing along to. It's very welcoming to someone who wants to sing along. And the subjects, this is of particular interest to me because I write what I call funny stories about sad things. I love having the duality of comedy in my life and dark, deep, important things to talk about. And you have that as well. Your songs are not funny. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're not. They're not funny. (laughs) And, and, you know, I mean, you work in comedy, but there's this outlet too for for the heavy stuff. You use your music to seek social justice. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that kind of balance? I think that part of the whole kind of community song movement 
is to is gives people an opportunity to come together and sing to the human experience. And so there is humor and levity in that and we do laugh and have and have fun and have a good time. Um and I guess I write you know I there's no there's no there's no quick answer to say, well, what do you write about? I don't. I write to the moment, whatever the moment is. And of course, we've been through many intense things in the last two years. So a lot of the music that I've written is is really grounded in this human experience. I have one song that says, we're out here in the open water, um, no clear direction to carry on. We're out here in the open water. Together, we'll find our way home. You know, I mean, just just naming the feeling that we're having and even if and, and if you if you name it and you kind of sing to it, then the end result is not that you feel sad; it's that you feel better. <laughs> you know. Yes, so. there's that. And I, to, to speak to that in comedy, the reason children are so funny is because they state the obvious. They just point at something, and it's funny. And I think that's really <laughs> comedy is coming from stating what's really happening a very honest moment. So maybe that's the kind of connection between that, like, I'm just going to name this if I name it. And someone, sometimes people laugh because they recognize it. Yeah. And they also cry because they recognize it. So that's an interesting parallel in both of those things. Very interesting. I mean, I have a tendency not to examine it, the, that, the, the process too much. Mm. You know, I mean, I'll examine a song and say, well, is it working? Do I like it? Does it need more? Does it need less? Or, you know, is this something that's just for me or something I want to sing with other people? But, um, but I don't think I examine my process too deeply because I just like, I just want to be open. You yeah. know, I just want to be open to it. Well, and that is the things, process, being yeah. open to it. That's the whole uh, thing. Know, there's yeah. a so- there's a song of mine that um that goes uh uh how does it go? Oh, it goes when we gonna get it right? How we gonna get it right? You know we gotta get it right now. We gotta get it right. When we gonna get it right? How we gonna get it right? You know we gotta get it right now. We gotta get it right. And it goes on. When when are we gonna see each other? When when are we gonna free each other? When we're gonna love each other? Right. That song came. Because I mean, the the melody for that song came when I was walking around my house. My sister in law had called to ask me if I still had a necklace she had given me many years before. It was a yellow necklace, and I was walking around my house going, "Gotta find the yellow necklace. Where to put the yellow necklace? I really need the yellow necklace. Where to put the yellow necklace? I gotta find the yellow necklace." And that, and I was alone in the house like a lunatic, just laughing at myself. I can I, I I can't find the yellow necklace. Need to find the yellow necklace. And so. I liked I liked the melody. It felt good in my body. So I picked up my phone. I recorded where I'm gonna find the yellow necklace. Where I'm gonna the yellow necklace. And I have it on my phone still. And it became when we're gonna get it right. How we gonna get it right? I love that. Thank you for sh- that's. I just love that. Thank you so much for sharing. That's perfect. So there's comedy. Perfect. Yes, it's hilarious. It's in there. It's in yes. the layers. The layers. The layers. Okay, I have to let you go because I could talk to you all day. But I'm wondering if there's been a specific project, yeah, creative project that you felt maybe changed you the most in your career or in your artistic life. Hmm. I'm very bad with favorites questions, okay. things that narrow things down to one thing. That is, a, it is a kind of a. You're right. I wouldn't but, like to be. Asked but I will. Either. But I will say, working with Henry Jaglum in the, making that movie, which was largely improvisational, gave me my voice as an actor in a way that I'd never had it before. Because I had to tell a whole story essentially using my language, and that freed me to relate to text differently. 
obviously losing the Ellen job taught me a, a lesson around my own resilience. You know, playing Janice gave me my my freedom, my confidence, my wings. So like each thing, you know, and 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 being on Californication and being able to play a, a terrible, horrible woman, you know, I mean, it was also very liberating. Each thing has kind of given me my, you know, given me something um, to shift and change me as an artist. And of course the music is like the river that I, uh, that I, I'm always in. And, uh, and that's kind of underneath everything I do. And I, and I relate to text, I think in a musical way as well. I think about the music of the character. I worked with Anna Devira Smith when I was young, I studied with her at the American Conservatory Theater, and then I worked privately with her in New York. And if you don't know her work with listeners, she's a genius. And um, and she really also taught me about the music of language. So I feel like that's where all my kind of creative work comes together. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been great. I've learned so much, and I'm going to learn more when I listen to this. <laughs> so thank you so much. And, and tell listeners where they can find you, how you... Yeah, uh, I will say that I'm at go. I have two websites. One is goldenbridgechoir.com, and that's a great mailing list to get on because that's where I send out information about all the different things I'm doing. I'll be doing an online open choir Sunday next Sunday uh, for people who want to experience what that's like, the virtual choir experience. And I'm working on a children's book that will come out at some point. And so I'll be, you know, I'll publicize it on the various places. But goldenbridgechoir.com and maggiewheeler.net, that's sort of my showbiz website that has all the things I've fun things I've done. I, I don't update as much as I should, but those are the two places that I I am on the web. And then I have Maggie Wheeler underscore official on uh, Instagram, which is also kind of, it's, it's mostly my show busy stuff. Mm-hmm. So mu- for, to, to find my music work and all the rest of my things that are unfolding, goldenbridgechoir.com is where you get on the list. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Character Development with Suzanne Nugent. If you liked the show, please subscribe and give it a rating. If you didn't like the show, please subscribe and give it a rating. We can still be friends. Sign up for our monthly newsletter at SuzanneNugent.com slash podcast. That's S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-N-U-G-E-N-T dot com slash podcast. Or just follow the link in the show notes. That's it for now. Until next time, I'm Suzanne Nugent, and I'm glad we had this talk.